Welcome to the Clay Young Show. We are right in the middle, or at least toward the end, of early voting in Louisiana for all of the elections during this first round in the political season, the first round ending on October 24th. And for many people, it's all of the fight. They'll be done on the 24th. But for others, it means that you get to go to the second round, the runoffs, and all of the elections are right now happening. Welcome to the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. We are glad to have you appreciate the feedback we got from you guys last week because of our show with David Savona, the executive editor of Cigar Aficionado magazine. Fantastic time with him. Today, our guest is Daryl Orso, who is running for re-election in House District 66. He won a special election earlier this year and is now trying to get the full term. And you'll hear his thoughts on the budget, his candidacy for office. We talk about higher ed. So many things going on in Louisiana. And you'll get to hear from him coming up in the body of the show. Something I also want to do for you. After our conversation with Daryl Orso, there are some constitutional amendments on the ballot. There are four constitutional amendments on the ballot. And here's what I'm going to do after the interview with Representative Orso. We're going to talk about each of those amendments, and I'm going to tell you what they mean, what a vote for them would mean, what a vote against them would mean. A lot of this information is provided by the Public Affairs Research Council here in Louisiana, a great organization, Parez. They have been around since 1950, and they give great information. They're independent. They're nonpartisan. They just give you the facts, and that is Very, very rare in this political day and age. So we're going to get to the interview with Mr. Orso. And then after that, stick around. And I'm going to talk about the constitutional amendments, tell you what they are. So if you're if you're looking for kind of a cheat sheet, don't worry about it. Got you covered. That's coming up after Mr. Orso. As always, we tell you here on the show, spread the word about our show on podcast 225.com. If you have an iPhone, an iPad, if you use a Mac computer, Hit the subscribe button in iTunes and the show drops into your podcast app without you having to do anything. It improves our numbers. It shows us who's out there. And listen, we don't charge you anything for it, but we, we, we need to know. I want to know who's listening to the show, how many people are listening to the show. In the iTunes app, there's actually a section there where you can leave a review. Go there. Tell us what you think about the show. I mean, most of the comments that I've gotten actually about... 99.5% of the comments have been positive, and, and the small percentage of criticism has all been constructive. And I think, you know, I, I love that. I love people telling me things that we can do to be better, the kinds of guests that you want on the show. And during this political season, we've been a little heavier with the politics, but you can understand that. It's that time of year. So subscribe to the show. If you don't have an Apple device, you can get that Talk 107.3 mobile app and get to the show right from there. That means you can listen to it in your car or in your office. Very rarely do we have shows where the content is explicit to the degree that you can't listen to it at work. Well, who are we kidding? That's those will be the shows that Richard Condon is on. So or, you know, you, you know, you've heard those shows that he's been on. So and he'll be back here in the in a couple of weeks or so just giving you a heads up about that. But follow us. Chime in with us on Facebook and on Twitter to let us know what you think about what we're doing here. Trying to provide a great audio service. It is a podcast, original content that you get first when we drop it. It isn't released anywhere else and then edit it to be provided here. And what you hear is what we do. So keep up with us. We got big things ahead of you, especially for the 50th edition of the show. I got something in mind. I'll tell you about it when we get closer to that. And it's getting closer and closer by the week. All right. Representative Daryl Orso is next. And then following that interview, we're going to go through the constitutional amendments here in Louisiana for the election cycle. The Clay Young Show continues directly after this. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. 
posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with State Representative Daryl Orso representing House District 66. He won a special election a few months ago, beating his opponent, current council member Buddy Amoroso, by only 72 votes. And he's running again for re-election. District 66 is in the southeastern part of East Baton Rouge Parish. And it's probably... A pretty astute part of the parish. I mean, people there are paying attention by virtue of household income and some of the business owners who are there. And he's here with us today to talk about his first, I guess, few months in the legislature, the legislative session, and then the election that, as you are listening to this now, has already begun because we are in the middle of early voting right now. Representative Orso, welcome to the show. Well, hello, and thank you, Clay. I'm glad to be with you, my old friend. Now, yeah, we've been friends since... 2003, I believe. Uh, when did you first get into the Metro Council? I was elected in the fall of 1999 in yeah. a special election, right. almost similar terms right. uh, to here. Um, Patty Jo Rubik was in office. Mm-hmm. She ended up having to resign. There was a vacancy of just over a year, and at the time, uh, Randy Cox was serving in the interim. Um, he did not want to seek the office. There were four candidates in the race. I finished that uh, primary with uh, over 41% of the vote mm-hmm. and, of course, ran uh, for the final and won that in November of 1999. Yeah, you did the – because when I met you, you were in – I guess you were you were in your second term when I think we met. I think we met sometime in late 03, early 04, and uh, got a chance to talk a bit there, and I actually – have lived in the council district that you represented for a great number of years here. You chose wisely. <laughs> Is that right? I chose wisely. Well, I, I, I think I did. I've enjoyed where I am. So let's talk about running for the legislature after being in the Metro Council and being a part of Katrina, uh, the fight over police pay raise with the union and then Mayor Bobby Simpson and all of the back and forth over the mayor pro tem title and who should have it and all of these fights in the legislature you got out you're in business you know you you're you're moving along doing well for yourself and you decided to get back into politics why right well i think public service is a calling mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who feel that um, you know, it's it's a, a push and a desire within you to go out and make a difference, to do something better for the community and leave a legacy behind that you did contribute and made a lasting impression on someone else's life. Because you certainly don't do it for the money. Well, you know, that there is some compensation, but you're right. I mean, it is beyond the compensation because the council and the legislature are both part-time positions. Mm-hmm. So there's no real um, benefits package, if you will. There's no retirement that accrues. Right for serving in either of these offices. It was a low turnout election, as I referenced, and you beat Buddy by 72 votes. You got just under 51% of the vote uh, in that race. I I had Tom Shedler here last week or a couple of weeks ago as this airs, and he says he believes the turnout for this election will be 50%. That seems a bit high. You know, we are going to do whatever we can to deliver the message. Uh, I would like to have to have 100 yeah, percent turnout. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but in reality, there are many things that happen and people either are just uh, frustrated with the process or uh, yeah. they forget sometimes. But, you know, we certainly are doing everything we can to deliver the message that we feel we are the best person. I'm the best person to continue in this position. In your time in the legislature, you had this legislative session that went on uh, with a nearly $2 billion budget deficit, and we are facing the possibility of that reality resurfacing next year during the next legislative session. Big controversy over the way the House and Senate worked to close the budget shortfall, that it's a temporary fix. What is your response to people who say we just kind of put a leaky Band-Aid on a gushing wound? Well, you have to look at initially where the budget process starts, and Mm -hmm. that starts with the governor's office. So the governor has the constitutional authority to set the budget, and he presented the budget to the House and the Senate, and there was some cuts involved. There were changes, again, Mm -hmm. uh, like a lack of funding, I should say, to higher education uh, the seventh year in a row. And while Buddy and I were out on the campaign trail, 
several of the committees were meeting and they were going back and forth trying to find solutions and different things and, yeah. and they identified that you know we didn't want to cut higher education so going into the but you know getting elected and and being sworn in just a few days before the session started you know i didn't have the benefit of having any input into all those meetings because sure. again that was going on with uh, senators and representatives and the different committees but they were also looking at what bills could be filed to provide for revenue sources to cover the deficit to higher education and, and health care. So that process was all going on before. And again, going back, the governor's the one who sets the budget. So when the legislature gets the budget, they start to review what they want to do and what mm -hmm. they can do. And, you know, the, the price of oil had some factor in contributing to the shortfall of revenue, but there's also structural issues with decades-old fiscal policy. You know, right. Things that were piecemealed over the years that, you know, uh, you know, maybe they worked initially, but for 10 or 20 or 30 years later, are they still working? Are we still getting the return mm -hmm. on that investment for whatever particular tax credit was put in place? So many things had to be addressed in a short window of time. What do you think about people who said you voted against business? That, you know, I, was, I just read an article here from the Picayune talking about this. And, you know, people at forums are going to attack you because you're the incumbent. You're, not, you're, you're the guy everybody's chasing now. Right. Where before, if you're running against someone, you're chasing them. Everybody's trying to take you out to keep you out of the runoff. What do you think, what, do you, how, what is your response to the candidates running against you when they say your votes were anti-conservative votes, high tax votes, bad for this area, bad for the state? It's simple. I voted for Louisiana. Explain. I voted for Louisiana for our future, for higher education, to keep our kids and grandkids in the state. We see too often that our children or grandchildren have to take jobs out of state mm -hmm. or they have to go to colleges out of state because they don't have the opportunity for that particular degree that they're looking for in Louisiana. And, you know, I'm a strong supporter of LSU. I'm an LSU graduate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at LSU as the flagship, you know, their uh, program at LSU received almost $400 million of the $700 million of revenue that was provided for in this past session. So I, I make no apology. I mean, it, it is, uh, for me, the most important thing we do is to protect higher education. And you hear again and again, why do we cut health care and education, higher ed, in our budget cycle every year. Yeah. Well, the answer is simple. They're not protected in the state constitution. Right. Right. Well, and, and again, I, I want to press on this a little bit more because I want to spend time here now and then move on to some other items like the budget that we plan on talking about. When some of these people say that uh, that you didn't stand up for conservatism, Rick Bond uh, talked about being concerned not just for now, but for the next session and the session after that. And their their contention is that your vote to raise taxes on business will cost the very people who are keeping the state moving by providing jobs. And I go back to my comment earlier about having the decades old fiscal policy. We need to look at reforming the tax code in this mm -hmm. state. Now, doing so, and, and everyone will agree, uh, my, my, can, my opponents will say that, you know, we need to reform the tax code. Right. They also say, we, I support higher education. Well, in this session, with the bills that were pre-filed and the, and the votes that we had to make, if you were for supporting higher education and for LSU, you would have had to vote identical to the way I voted in this but session. But was there any other way to do it than on voting to tax business and industry even more? You know, in, in, the, in the bills that were filed, and there mm -hmm. were over 1,100 bills that were filed, sure. you know, not all of them, of course, were, were bills that we could attach a revenue stream to, <clears throat> excuse me, but in those, in those bills that were allotted to us, we had to look at these measures. Um, we could not undo certain things. We were there no other options? I mean, you know, from the, by the time I got there and, and for everything else that was going, there were very few options that we had available. Now, others will say, oh, we could have done this and could have done that. You know, but I don't know if the political will of the entire legislature was there to do those. Do you think the legislature took the easy way out? There was a lack of leadership coming from the fourth floor. No question about it. And that permeated throughout both sides of the chambers. Right. And it was not just for this year. It was for several years. They felt that the governor's office should have and could have over the past several years provided more support and strength in making some fiscal policy changes that would have not come to the 11th hour. A lot of people felt that he was just counting down 60 days to get out of the session yeah. because he had another state to go work on. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about 
the way the budget is structured. You referenced this, and most of us who cover this, even casually pay attention, know that higher ed and healthcare are not protected by the Constitution. Right. And oftentimes when there is a budget issue, th- those are the buckets that we go into to get money out to save the rest of, of the budget. And the chickens are coming home to roost now because higher ed is being cut. Right. We are losing kids to other states. Sure. We are, they're, 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 I talk with people in business who are responsible for bringing businesses here. And I know you know this as well, that a a lot of the larger companies are wondering what are their employees going to do in the way of educating kids when you're trying to bring younger families here. You know, maybe some parts of our state don't look so good because you got to pay for private school. So how do we address that going in? You want to be reelected to this seat. How do we address that going forward without a constitutional convention? Well, you have to, again, look at the revenues that you collect Mm -hmm. and the revenues that you rebate. And that's the first one. And there are some numbers from the Department of Revenue that show that Louisiana rebates more than half of the revenues it collects. Right. And, you know, and it's no secret. I mean, if we reform the tax code, I mean, everyone says, oh, we need to reform the tax code. You know, they kind of, that's a little soundbite. But when you do that, if you raise or lower a tax rate on someone, someone will end up paying more money. Right. Someone may pay less money. Right. So reforming the tax code means, to be honest, you have to look at perhaps increasing someone else's taxes to adjust for the revenues that you decrease. But what about when people say that we don't have a, a revenue problem, we have a spending problem, that the cash is there? Looking at some of the numbers, $1.8 billion for the Department of Health and Hospitals. You know, I'm looking at the Department of Education in both non-discretionary and in discretionary spending, and there are billions here, Right. yet we're cutting so much from them and it doesn't seem like the money is actually making it into the classroom, particularly in, in a K through 12 situation. Well, and, and you're referring to um, this this um, chart that yeah. we have here. Yeah. Of course, I yeah. know you, your listeners can't see it. Yeah. But just to try to give a visual, um, the state budget is about $28 billion. Mm-hmm. You take away some interagency transfers, you get to about $26 billion. And that was related to the comment you mentioned when you opened the show that, right. you know, we had a $1.6 billion shortfall. Right. Well, of that number, once you take away self-generated revenues, which is almost $4 billion, those are fees, uh, driver's license fees, inspection stickers, license. all those things. So yeah. those are special to use fees, yeah. special to use fees that go to a particular agency. And those things have gone up in cost. And, and they have. And, yeah. that's, and that is a desire to run government like a business okay. by having the user fee attached to whatever service cover the cost of those services. Okay. Then there's statutory dedications, $3.9 billion. Of that, $2.6 billion is dedicated by the voters of this state in our state constitution. So 2.6 of that $3.9 billion cannot be touched unless the voters approve to undedicate those dollars. Explain statutory dedications. I mean, these, these, these are line items by law that say you have to spend these amount, this amount on, on these places. Purpose, right. Okay. And so, so the other money is the $1.3 billion. Uh, those are monies that were laws that were passed by the legislature, signed in by effect by the governor, mm-hmm. and it could have been a year or 20 or 50 years ago. They were bills that were approved by both houses, signed by the governor, and they serve a specific purpose. Sure. Um, $600 million, I believe, uh, $63 million goes to the convention and visitors bureaus across the state. Mm-hmm. So that's money that they use for providing tourism and promoting. $63 the- million. Right. So there's other dollars in there. Um, it could be transportation trust fund, AG fund money. So there's a variety of sources that are in there that we could, by, um, I guess, by act in the, con- in, in the House of the Senate, mm-hmm. undedicate those dollars and use them for another purpose. However, there's a constituent group across the state, whether small or large, that is ex- expecting that money that's in a so-called trust fund to be used for the purpose it was originally enacted. So, so what about, like, the... Um NGOs, we talk about that. I've talked about that with other lawmakers, these you know, non-governmental organizations that, right. that get money that are either tied to legislators or some not-for-profits that do work in communities. Now, I know that they get a bad they get a bad rap from a lot of people because of the way money is often mismanaged. Some of these organizations do provide a good service, right. but the argument against it is it should be driven by the private sector and private donors, not government dollars. What's your position on that? And there has been considerable reform in the NGO world. There Governor, has. Governor Jindal, I think, really took the lead on that. 
Um, I don't think it's a significant amount when you're looking at trying to come up with a billion dollar shortfall. Oh no, not you at know? all. So I mean, yeah. in terms of budget, but, uh, balancing the budget, it will make it. It will have some benefit, but yeah. it will not have a tremendous impact. It's not going to get us there. Right. So, and then you get back now, what you really want to look at is some of the capital outlay money, because okay. there's a lot of money that's in those capital outlay Now, expl funds. explain to people capital outlay. These are either governmental entities right. across the state, right. or it could be some not NGOs that are looking for dollars from the state budget. What's the capital, out, uh, the capital outlay number right now? I, I don't have that number offhand, um, and, and there's tier one, tier Right. Uh, there's several different levels of, of, of funding based on whatever priority one, priority five or whatever. So wherever the project is, and for example, here in East Baton Rouge Parish, the Campus Lakes, the LSU Lakes. That's right. Big, and, big debate over that. You brought that up. People right. talked about the money. Uh, what was it? Uh, 400? 40, 40 million dollars. Yeah, 40 million dollars. And, and, the, and the discussion over whether or not money should have gone to that. Quickly talk about that because you know that's a big deal. Well, the lakes... You know, it's it's sort of because um, you didn't support the measure to spend that money on on the lakes, right? No, the that, 40 that, million. that went through. It was Senator Clater who yeah, was opposed to that. That's right. Um, that went through, and, and that's right. And yeah. and the the way that we looked at that, well, the lakes are owned by LSU in yeah. part, which LSU is a public institution. Sure, sure. So therefore, it is a publicly uh, uh, scope project. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I understand the concern that. Um, the lakes over years have been sedimenting in and kind yeah. of going back to where they used to be because it yeah. used to be a swampy area. Right. And, you know, it's so it's um, a little bit ironic. I don't think the environmentalists today would have let us do what was done 80 years ago. That's right. To put the lakes in place. But we have them now. And there's extensive project that w w to go in, take out the stumps and, and fix them. The university sees this as a, a calling card for attracting new mm -hmm. students and mm -hmm. professors to the area. There are uh, kids running over there all it, the time, and, it, and you know, adults and professionals who, it, uh, and people who work on campus who run the lakes right. all the it's time, a, too. It's a quality of life yeah. issue for yeah. our community. Now, is that a project that should be funded by the state, or should that be funded by just the parish? But that's what capital outlay is. Mm -hmm. It takes projects across the state. It could be a water treatment facility for some rural parish. Right. It could be a sewer oxidation pond. You know, so there's all sorts of things that are going into capital outlay. And you know, some people feel, well, you know, if I can get five hundred or a hundred thousand or a million or two million, you know, to help deliver yeah. the goods in my district, then I go through the capital outlay project. Well, see, and then that is finding, you have to get the, the, the uh, favor of the governor. And it's interesting because everybody, and lots of people hate NGOs except the ones that do getting, something for them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, kind of the way yeah. it works. And, and that's, you know, so the NGO, if it is just a, an organization where 100% or 90% of the money is going to the salaries of someone, yeah. that's wrong. It right. shouldn't be that way. Right. But there are, you know, community centers that are being built, um, you know, uh, recreational facilities that are being built across the state with capital outlay money. Mm -hmm. It does benefit the people. You know, if we don't have the money, though, it's hard to give it out. And there's always more demands and more wants every year than the money that is available. So when you talk about self-generated revenue here for Louisiana, right. uh, $3.8 billion is what we're looking at on the, on the information in front of us. Are there ways to increase that that don't amount to a tax? And now the, the, the word tax has been a uh, fee rather has been hoard out because it's basically a tax right. uh, in fee clothing. So is there a way to do more with that without having to have, quote unquote, fee increases? Anytime you can reduce your expenses, you know, you could eliminate positions. You can become more effective by yeah. using computers. Sure. You know, some services you have to have people to work them. I mean, motor vehicles, which is probably not one to, to bring up. Sure. But, you know, you go to the driver's license office and there's, in, at least in Baton Rouge, there's 30 windows. One of the most awful experiences you could ever have. Exactly. The best, the best, worst half day of your life. Oh, my God. <laughs> I took my daughter for her first, for her driver's license. The first time I had to take one of the kids and it was, yeah. it was painful, man. Yeah. I'm thinking... Did I step back into 1951 where there are no computers, you know, to help speed along the process or whatever? You know, just I don't know. It, it's a slow process. It does work, but it is a slow and sometimes painful process because, you know, there's all these windows and not a lot of people working there. But, you know, when you say well, or they're working there and they're on their cell phone. Well, I, you know, I haven't 
seen that one, but you know, take a picture. I've, take I've a seen picture. that one. Right. So, let, well, let me ask you here about the, uh, along those but, lines. I'm not, I'm not here to disparage the state workers because sure. there's a lot of people who do a great job. Oh, and absolutely. Very dedicated, you know, but I think most of the people there are sure. super. They're, they're right. accommodating. It's and and, and to be fair, I joke about it, but to be fair, there are lots of people there. Right. So that's one of the. I mean, I expect it to be long because you know they're literally hundreds of people in that building trying to get their business done. Right. And I ran into no attitudes from the people. So I'm just kind of joking sure. about that. But that, actually, that is a mega yeah. center where you, you sure. many things are going on at one time. So. I think I think state workers often get pounced on by people. Right. And as we've talked about before, I don't necessarily think that's fair. If, if someone posts a job opening and someone applies for it, you can't blame them for applying for a job. Right. Especially when we talk about the number of people who don't want to work. Well, you can't jump all over the people who are getting jobs. Yeah, we just have to be in state like any other business, you know, hire the best people yeah. and pay a competitive salary and certainly, you know, provide the benefits that yeah. any private business would have and make sure that we continually work with and keep our people, you know, doing the job they're supposed to be doing. Now, I will tell you this, that I do have, and I'll let, maybe I'll pose it in the form of a question. Can we do a better job of not having so many positions available to have to hire people? In other words, some agencies being so top heavy with departments, department heads, especially that that's soaking up a big chunk of tax dollars. Sure. And that's always, again, um, the legislature is not a micromanager. Sure. You know, we're, our role is to not go in and micromanage and run state government. That is what the administration, the governor's office does. It's a policy, so, build, a policy building, right. you know, level of government. You know, yeah. so, but certainly, you know, he or, well, in this case, he, the governor, the next governor, has to make sure that the positions that are filled are doing the job, the pay yeah. is competitive, that they are not top heavy. And, you know, from the standpoint of what the legislature's role is, you know, we need to make sure that the revenues that are collected and spent are done so in an in a, in a efficient manner. So, yeah, that's always something that a governor comes in and you know, the Jindal administration claims yeah. that they you know, cut back 30,000 jobs. What about that? But, you know, there's also a lot of other contracts that have yeah. been issued. So we're taking away people from working on the state as on the state payroll, but we've outsourced those jobs. So are we paying a fair wage or maybe too much money compared yeah. to what those jobs were being done before? What is your position on privatization as it relates to agencies? You know, when through attrition, retirement, what have you, agencies can downsize. What do you think about replacing certain services with private companies? And I'm not saying that I'm all in or totally against it because I think it depends on the situation. Right. Because sometimes you can the quality can suffer depending on the way that the contract is written. What's your position on that? Uh, again, you have to study a privatization contract just like you would do a tax credit. That's right. I mean, you know, how long will this project last for? Or how long will this uh, item be outsourced? Mm -hmm. You know, how many people are we going to have if we do it ourselves versus how many will the private contractor have? You know, what is the benefit? What is, are, are there some kind of performance measures we can identify one year, three year, five years out to make sure that we are delivering the same level or better service mm -hmm. than our than previously, and, and of course that service has to be what the people of this state expect. So it's, it's like anything, you can't just say, yeah, carte blanche, blanket right. statement, I'm all in for it, right. because you have to really look at what's in the, the devil's in the details to see what you would get in the long term. I, I attended a BRAC event yesterday and luncheon, and they talked about the, the ecosystem of uh, innovation and businesses, and, and one of the things that came up was infrastructure here. Right. You're in the legislature now and you guys deal with and there's certainly not a ton of money to throw at infrastructure. But I think you would agree that we are years behind cities of comparable size and, and regions of comparable size as it relates to infrastructure, roads right. and highways and bridges. And what do we do about that in a situation where we don't have money right now? Barely. In this session, we have taken the step to use more money from the Transportation Trust Fund to go toward transportation projects. Mm -hmm. However, your listeners need to know that just because it says Transportation Trust Fund doesn't mean it's strictly related to interstate highways and U.S. highways because ports are part of this, sure, that's rails. Right. So there's other right. components that are part of the Transportation Trust Fund, not just the roads we drive on. But what we've done, we've taken it where in three years it would go from the current $60 million down to $10 million of spending mm -hmm. on other uses of the Transportation Trust Fund, and primarily that use is paying state police personnel yeah. for the job. Uh, that was an attorney general interpretation many years ago, and I think more than one governor has used that. 
but when you get to putting money on the roads and, and the ports and so on, we're looking at the the funding that this administration and perhaps others has used sure. was to try to find another way to use a rainy day fund or some surplus money mm -hmm. to balance the budget without making the true cuts and the two, the true changes to the structural deficits that we, deficiencies that we have in our in our state finances. So we are now pretty much where the cushions have been shaken out. That's There's right. no more money in That's the couch. Right. I mean, you know, um, the the piggy banks and whatever else, we've cracked them all up, but we spent Absolutely. all the money. Uh, there was a bill this session, and I voted against it. It was to take about $74 million from an insurance guarantee association trust fund because the fund balance was over $140 million. The administration said, here's $70 million we can attach. It's our money. We need to use it. We needed that money to balance not the 2015-16 budget, but the 2014-15 budget. Unbelievable. So when I spoke of opposition to the bill, um, Chairman Fannin said, well, Mr. Uso, you know, if we don't put this $74 million in, we're going to have a current budget hole, and that's going to translate to even another $74 million in the next budget. You know, so um, every little nook and cranny has been searched out and scanned for a dollar here, a dollar there, and we, we have to stop. We can't do that anymore because there's no more money to be had. You know, it's so interesting you say that. Let me throw this at you. When it comes to creating the kind of synergy where small business can thrive and and be created in Louisiana the percentage of consumers versus cons, uh, consumers versus producers I think is off kilter that when the best and brightest walk across a stage they're looking to Austin or Dallas or Houston or Atlanta or LA they don't really think a lot about staying in Louisiana and putting down roots here and so the, the class of pioneers who built the larger companies here are moving toward retirement. Right. And some of the companies that are not indigenous to Louisiana but have been here are moving away. They're putting their HQs in other states. How do we address that? How do we create the kind of energy where small business can grow and thrive and also the kind of attractive atmosphere where the big boys say, man, we got to get to Louisiana. It's really going on over there. It's a couple of factors. You know, certainly education is going to be the first one. Yeah. And it should be the first one. Mm -hmm. Are we doing things to improve K-12 education? And I feel that we are going in the right direction. Uh, we've made some changes, yeah. and it's called the Common Core Compromise. Right. There's a segment of the state that feel like Common Core is bad, mm -hmm. and it needs to be replaced or removed. And then there's a, another segment that feels it's very good, that we are changing and, and, and moving forward. So the, set, the compromise that we put in place this session was, you know, we'll have Common Core as the default, in, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. And if you can come up with a better set of standards, have Bessie approve it, have it get approved, right. you know, we'll go with the new standards. So education, K-12 first and foremost, and then higher education. And we have to show and demonstrate a commitment to higher education. Sure. And, and that's what we did this session. Uh, when you look at comparing LSU across the SEC, we're about in eighth place from our um, SEC competitors in funding from the state general fund to higher ed. Right. So, you know, we need to change that. Uh, I, I am proud to say that LSU is higher than Alabama in that, <laughs> in, in that list. The, the second component is, is a fair tax rate. Right. And that, that's taxed across the board, you know, right. from, high, from big business to little business. Right. Uh, the National Federation of Independent Business endorsed my campaign for re-election. Um, you know, so I'm very happy that I have been supporting small business. Mm -hmm. And I think there is maybe some misunderstanding uh, about the big business program. You know, certainly I'm not anti-big business. I work very well with them in my yeah. nine years in the Metro Council. And we've had a lot of things happen in this you area. You took a beating from big business organizations that said you weren't the friend of large enterprise and industry. Well, I understand that. But, you know, again, um, we looked at some tax credits that have mm -hmm. been on the books. Um, these were not new taxes. We scaled back some of the credits. So they are still getting tax credits. Yeah. They're not completely gone away. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be emphasized. They still receive tax credits. We, maybe we're not as competitive as we were. But in the financial situation that we're faced, you know, those were the, the decisions we had to make. Were there any and, other and some, options, though? Well, again, uh, we sunsetted most of these for three years, yeah. so these are not permanent. Yeah. Uh, we can always go back next session and, and take them off. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, but we had to look at other ways. Again, we can undedicate some of the, quote, dedicated monies. Sure. The ones that go by the voters, have to, uh, approved by the voters, have to go back to the voters. The ones that were approved by the legislature can be done in, that, in the session. But, again, you're looking at, well, the voters – asked you to do this, we did it, and now we're going to go back on our word. So there's a trust factor there. And so, you know, there's a lot of, so again, across the board, 
taxation has to be looked at. It has to be improved for all segments, mm -hmm. individuals, the small business, and yeah. the large business. And then the final component is the quality of life. I mean, we have a terrific quality of life here. Yeah. And, and going back for, gener for generations, I think the last, the 2010 census shows that 80% of the people who were born in Louisiana still live in Louisiana mm -hmm. and have, have been multi-generational families for, you know, many years. So that the, 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 the bonds, the, the environment, the, um, you know, the, um, the outdoors, everything sure. that makes Louisiana what it is, the sure. food, yeah. you know, which it helps to expand our waistline. Yeah, so that's right. We need to expand our coastline, not our waistline. <laughs> that's right, but, that's uh, right. So, so, you know, and, and all the things that we do, the, the hunting, the fishing, the mm -hmm. trapping, everything that goes on in our state, from the rural areas of North Louisiana to the, you know, all the uh, recreational we have in South Louisiana, you know, that makes people want to stay here, too. And we need to make sure that those facilities, those environments, those areas are protected mm -hmm. and enhanced and whatever we can do to make sure that happens. So three things, again, uh, the education, K-12 and higher education, right. a fair and equitable tax code, and then enhancing the quality of life, make young people and entrepreneurs and those who are looking at places to settle choose Louisiana. You know, you brought up education a moment ago and some of the changes that have been made, particularly Common Core, Louisiana right. accepting Common Core. Now there is a compromise. So the, the main issue of Common Core is largely off the table now. And there is double double oversight, if you will, about what happens with high standards. That is another subject that I think was hijacked by the talking points crowd. Because I think if you if you move all of the political emotion away and ask the question of any Louisiana adult, not just a parent, any right. Louisiana adult, do you support higher standards for our children so that they can compete around the country and then hopefully one day globally? globally. The answer would be yes, yes, absolutely. And if you were to follow up and say, is it is it fair to say that we are graduating children who are ill prepared to compete in the world, in the workplace? The answer would be yes. I think we haven't put enough focus on skills, uh, vocational training. Not every kid is gonna go to a four-year four institution right. or even a two-year institution. Right. But some of these kids can get jobs. They can get certified for blue-collar jobs that will pay them uh, uh, you know, a decent amount of money. These are... These are jobs that are reputable, respectable professions to be in. We've missed the boat. Sure. Said all, the, all of that to say you supported Common Core and you were open about it and you still got elected. Well, you know, I have to look at what I know. Yeah. My wife, who is a public school teacher of 27 right. years, right. and she teaches sixth grade math in Ascension Parish. And they adopted the Common Core program several years ago. And I think third or fourth year they're into it. And, you know, the first year was a struggle because mm -hmm. new concepts and the children didn't learn all those basics and those fundamentals. So yeah. implementation, again, is what everyone agrees was was poor. Sure. But now a couple no of years question. down the road, her kids love it. And, and she likes I hear it. that all the time from you teachers know, having, you know, that that the kids love it. No. Does she explain why they love it? I don't know, but they're, they're doing well in math. Maybe that's and, why, because they feel like they're successful. Right. Now, she, she teaches math. Now, I know, I think the math may be separated from the English language yeah. arts, which some people have more concern and heartburn over. Sure. And, and I have some valid concerns, too. I don't like the revisionist of history uh, uh, practice that some people say they're doing. And, and we certainly need to look and make sure that we are teaching the true versions of history. Mm -hmm. or, or I guess the true version, I guess, it depends on who you're talking to yeah. about that. But, you know, making sure that we're looking at what is the legitimate American history experience that we all went yeah. through and you know it started in the 16 and 1700s not in the 1900s yeah you know, so there's things that we have to look at but my understanding is school systems are not told they have to use a particular book they have right. the choice they have the ability to choose that yeah. so if any parent is listening and there are concerns out there you know, work with your school board member. That's who is elected to represent you mm -hmm. in your local parish jurisdiction. And then from there, you go to the superintendent. You know, I don't think we should sort of uh, move this battle to the legislature unless it needs to be there because yeah. uh, when you're making education decisions, you want that local control to make those decisions. And the people you elect in your local area for your school board or for your Bessie members, you know, that's where those changes need to come through. Let's not make this a political hot potato, which it's is already there, which which mutes the ability to actually the get a solution. Right. 
It's it's a shame. It, I, my position has always been okay. Common Core is not the answer. People say oh, okay, it's not. Then let's let's work together to get right. something that is. Right. But it's right. hard to do when people are screaming invectives at one another from across, uh, you know, a committee room. Right. Uh, John White. What do you think of John White? Uh, I've met him on a couple of occasions, and you know, I'm, I'm sure he's matured in his position, uh, as we all have. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you go back and look at anyone's comments from. 10, 20 years ago or, or a few years ago, you know, they've had more experiences and they've sure. come to a better understanding. And I think initially when he came in, he probably uh, set some people off on the, uh, on the wrong foot. And, and he's, you know, seen and had more experiences to understand how yeah. things work. And he's trying to make the changes. So, again, overall, a, a nice guy. And uh, I think he's very passionate about education. And I think he's grown and matured. And he's learned more now than what he did when he first was put in the position. Specifically about East Baton Rouge Parish and, and the last few moments here, talking about, because you represent District 66, that is right. completely inside of EBR, the right. southeastern part of the parish. Where, grade where we are right now as a parish? In terms of okay, in ter- let's start first with economic development. I think we are, you know, doing pr- probably an A job in there. You know, getting businesses mm-hmm. to locate here. Um, you know, we've had a couple of losses recently that uh, are big. You know, Albemarle yeah. and yep. Raising Canes, yep. um, and a few others. I'm sure I'm missing out on. But you know, we, you know, you you got to, you know, swing at a couple of strikes and you know to, to hit a home run. Crime. That's certainly improving. Um, I'll go with a, a B, Whew, B for brave, maybe. A B, you know, I, I, I think Hiller is working. The district attorney, Hiller Moore, is working extremely hard. You're giving, they get an A for effort because, because they're looking at every opportunity and every vehicle to make sure that we can do things to improve crime, not to, to, to reduce crime in our community. And, and I truly believe, and I hear people say this all the time, but I know that people want to blame law enforcement. And maybe there are cases where that could be valid. I don't know. But most criminals don't call the police before they commit a crime. And uh, I was with Hiller this weekend and he said he was speaking to a group and he said, we've had 30 murders since June. And culturally, I don't know what you do. I know the man's working as hard as he can to right. fix that. Well, again, that has a root cause in a lack of education or poor education. And, you know, and, and in the home situations and, for a lot of these kids. Right. And, and these issues that we face at the local or the state level, a lot of them are generational issues. That's right. You know, poor education, no jobs, um, no opportunity. You know, trying to pigeonhole someone into a box for yeah. a particular career or yeah. job. You know, and, yeah. and you mentioned the vocational. You know, we need to focus on that because I, I believe so. Know, I think the majority of our future workers will not have a college degree. And, and millennials, have, so many millennials don't even know how to change a tire. Right. I mean, it's and Basically. I think it's it's a shame. So we talked about uh, economic development, crime. You've already mentioned education, but I want to ask you here, talking about the EBR school system. I think Warren Drake is doing one hell of a job in nine and a half months of well, really officially about I guess about four Six, months yeah, right. of of really Less. being on the job. What do you think about the the education system here? Even though it's not a completed project, where we are right now, what do you think? So far, what I see is promising and encouraging because Mr. Drake has uh, a good rapport Mm -hmm. with a lot of people in East Baton Rouge Parish already. He is someone we know. Yeah. And he's got a track record of success. Track record with Zachary. Isn't it amazing that this year there has not really been one big controversy reported in the news media? With yeah. the school board. Let's hope it's not just a honeymoon, but <laughs> that is the, it's the long-term relationship as well. So what grade would you give it? You know, it, it's hard because, you know, again, you don't want to give a grade to say, well, you know. Because it's so early it's right so now. so early on. You know, so but right now, I'm certainly encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a letter grade may not work with an S for satisfaction. Satisfaction. You know, uh, and then the NI needs improvement. You know, there's certainly a lot yeah. of things that need improvement. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, have to give them time and you know, it's hard. Back when I was on the Metro Council, I used to say we had a 30, 40, 50 syndrome. We had a 30-year-old sewer problem. We had a 40-year traffic system problem. And we had a 50-year educational problem mm-hmm. because our DSAG case was the longest run right. in the country. So for these generational issues, we are still dealing with some of the legacy from the DSAG from yeah. 50, now almost 60 years ago. Yeah. So it's breaking down those barriers, getting the confidence back, getting the people back into the public school system. You know, and, and that will take time. Uh, we've seen the flight to Livingston and Ascension mm-hmm. over the past 20, 30 years. You know, that's contributed to the traffic problem. 
in our area. Mm-hmm. So there's many things. They're all interconnected. It's it's sort of a, a woven patchwork, like that has you know it's you can't just pull one string and yeah. it's going to have multiple effects and multiple ripples. You talked about quality of life. Grade where quality of life is here, specific spe- specifically in EBR, not no, not so much the region. I'd say we're probably um, about a B minus. You know, there's many issues that we would like to see improved. Um, For instance? Um, you know, recreational bikes, paths, right. different things like that. You know, you can you can ride on a bike almost anywhere, but most yeah. of the places you'd be riding on the road. Yep. And there's a lot of people who are in, you know, encouraged to do more bike riding. And, of course, the motoring public is encouraged to be aware of those bicyclists. But they're Except just, the people who got their driver's licenses out of Cracker Jack boxes. Right. So, you know, the challenges are there because you have to have funds to make those bike lanes and, mm-hmm. and bike paths and everything else. So, again, you know, we haven't identified a, a true sustainable funding source. You know, where does that come from? You know, who pays that? Yeah. Again, those are more issues that we have to address. You know, we just need basic infrastructure improvements. I mean, the green light plan uh, that I was involved with in 2005, sure, sure. the voters approved that 10 years ago, and we've had over $700 million, $700 million of instru- infrastructure improvements put in these batteries. It's been fantastic. It's great. It has been fantastic. In just a decade, right. this parish looks considerably different right. than it did with roads and interchanges and all of the things that are going on. Exactly. As and, an, as, go ahead. And, and there, there were a few, you know, Burbank, O'Neill and Highland Road are state roads, but we put those in the green light plan because the parish, the folks who drive on those roads didn't care if it was a state or parish road. Right. But so there was some consideration that we're going to spend some of our dollars on, quote, so-called state highways. But Mm -hmm. these are also major arteries that the parish felt we needed to do that. But we still have to do work on our state roads, interstate system, airline highway. And that would be beyond the scope of the green light plan. Yes. And that's why my experience with the green light plan and making projects happen is put to good use in the legislature. Good. I, 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 I agree with that. Let me ask you here, kind of an, an aside, talking about infrastructure and roads, and this is more federal than, than state, I know, as I ask you, but the I-10 bridge going east on 10, crossing the, the Mississippi, right. it has been a problem for decades and it's one of it's one of the only kind of problems that exists on 10 in the entire country what do we do about that well there's groups that say it's the problem of washington street and someone else will say no it's not washington street it's perkins road and someone you know so there's all sorts but i mean shrinking it to one lane to me seems to be logistically the problem if we can stop doing the finger pointing as to who's the blame (laughs) for why the the interstate's not absolutely you know and and, just do something to fix something about it i agree with that and you know mayor simpson when he was first elected they were talking about making some changes to i-10 yeah and of course the the folks in the perkins road overpass area had very valid concerns and and this latest round of public hearings that DOTD held said that we can do some increased lanage within the existing right-of-way. So there's the right-of-way that's already there. Uh It will affect some individuals and businesses, which we have to look at for the greater good. Where do we go with these projects? And, you know, regardless of coming off the bridge, you're going from four lanes to three lanes. Yeah. Regardless of how you look at it, there's no other way. So even though you have Washington Street, you still go to three lanes after right. Washington Street. Right. Getting back, tying into the Campus Lakes project. You need another bridge over the lakes because the, the bridges over there are only three-lane bridges. So you have to expand the lanes from Washington Street to College Drive to make sure that you have yeah. four lanes that continually flow. Will it so happen? It can happen. <laughs> you don't seem very confident about you know, the likelihood. Because, you yeah. know, in West well, Feliciana, they put that bridge there. That bridge was supposed to go through Main Street in St. Francisville, and residents there did not want it, and they moved it uh, closer south, and it, the bridge runs out to Highway 61 now because the residents didn't want it. Yeah. Same thing's happening here. Yeah. And I don't know that these people are ever going to relent from their position. Well, and again, it, it would take time, patience, and diligence to make those groups yeah. feel comfortable that they're going to be improved in the end. Uh, by the way, that bridge that you mentioned in St. Francisville was a voter-approved bridge. That's it, right. It wasn't just a, a, a pie-in-the-sky project. Yeah. It was approved by the voters of the state under the time program. Mm-hmm. So, but no, it, the, you know, transportation issues are very emotional issues, not yeah. unlike development issues, and yeah. I've dealt with many development issues within my nine years in office. You know, so you have to be able to sit down and apply reason and not 
you know, being irrational and look at all the options and work with every group that is there to make sure that we can address not all of their concerns, but most of their concerns, because certainly everyone can't get everything they want whenever you have to do something. Final question, why should people elect you to a full term? Well, I'm the only one in this race who has any elected experience. This is now my 10th year of service, and I think when you look back over my 10 years, I've been a very good steward of the taxpayers' money. I've had to make tough decisions at all levels, and I'm certainly here to fight for higher education. I want to make sure that we fix our budget process. Again, that comes from the governor, but the legislature has a key role in doing that. And then we also need to look at transportation, and I have the demonstrated leadership to show that I can get transportation projects approved. I had um, a bill for Garvey bonds amended to include a bridge over the Mississippi River. The governor signed that into law. Uh, again, it does, goes back to funding. There is no money there, so we have to look at the funding because, you know, as much as we can do to s save a penny here or there, we're looking at billions of dollars, and, you know, we have a $12 billion backlog across the state. Uh, we have to look at some new and innovative ways, whether it's fees, tolls, private mm -hmm. partner uh, partnerships, uh, public-private partnerships, whatever it may be. You know, I've, I have the experience and the understanding and the relationships to work with other members of the legislature to make those things happen. State Representative Daryl Orso running for re-election. The election day, as you listen to this right now, early voting is going on through Saturday. And the election day is on October 24th, with the runoff being November 21st. Right. Right before Thanksgiving. And Election Day is LSU homecoming. So yes. So the 24th, so make sure that you go vote before you go tailgate. That's exactly right, because you might not be able to see after you go <laughs> tailgate. Not that that happens on campus at all. Thank you, Representative Orso. Thank you, Clay. Have you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Coming soon, Clay Young Enterprises and Podcast 225 will be giving you your big chance. You'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment to create a podcast that you can be proud of. You'll have an engineer and a professional show open and close. The Clay Young Show is already considered one of the best podcasts in the state. Get the same audio quality and professional packaging for your very own podcast. Stay tuned for more details. Your chance to have your own show is coming soon. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Good talk there with Mr. Orso. Now let's get down to other business. The constitutional amendments that many of you have probably already seen if you have early voted. You still have time if you plan on early voting this weekend as you are hearing this show. This show is dropping on the Thursday before, actually the Wednesday evening before early voting ends on that Saturday. But even if it's after early voting, but it's before the 24th, you've still got time to learn about what these constitutional amendments are that are going to be on the ballot this coming October 24th. And it's going to be a very busy day around here. Okay, amendment number one creates a new transportation projects fund and restructures the rainy day fund. If you vote for this amendment, it would steer state mineral revenue to a new transportation projects fund and restructure the budget stabilization fund. This is directly from the Public Affairs Research Council's information. A vote against it would leave the current revenue flow and budget stabilization fund in fact, uh, intact. Now, according to their summary, the main purpose of this proposed amendment is to create a constitutionally protected fund for state transportation projects. The amendment converts the state's budget stabilization fund, which is also known as the rainy day fund. We hear a lot about that. Now, it's going to uh, change it, convert it into two companion sub funds, one to fulfill the functions of a budget stabilization fund and the other to become a new transportation fund. The amendment does not raise taxes. It does not change the state's existing transportation trust fund, which will continue to be the primary source of state infrastructure spending. Basically, according to Parr, the amendment would take a portion of the state's mineral revenue that would otherwise be placed in the budget stabilization fund and send the money to the new transportation fund. So there you go. You can kind of rewind it if you didn't get what I said here. It kind of gets kind of wonky, but down to brass tacks, it just does steer state mineral revenue to a new transportation fund and restructures the rainy day fund. All right. That is amendment number one. 
Amendment number two allows the state treasurer the option of investing in the state infrastructure bank. Now, if you vote for this, it's going to allow the state treasurer, John Kennedy, to invest public funds in a state infrastructure bank. A vote against it obviously would require the newly created infrastructure bank to rely on other financing. According to Parr's uh, summary before that, they talk about the current situation. The legislature has created a state transportation infrastructure bank modeled after programs used in some other states. Now, the bank is designed to provide a revolving loan program to local governments seeking low-cost financing for transportation projects. The bank needs deposits to get started. The legislature may appropriate or dedicate money to this bank. Now, the proposed change, according to Parr, says that this amendment would provide another option for financing the infrastructure bank. It would allow the state treasurer to invest with the bank. The state always has money that needs to be invested, (laughs) such as cash and dedicated funds or tax revenue that is not immediately spent. It's just, you know, just gives you pause when you think about some of our lawmakers investing our money. The treasurer already invests in these state money invests these state monies in interest earning bonds or other financial tools and this amendment would give the treasurer a new option by allowing investments in the new infrastructure bank. Now because our state constitution restricts the transfer and investment of public funds, the drafters of this amendment believe that uh, this exception should be made to allow the treasurer to invest state funds in the new in the new bank. I'm sure for some of you, this sounds like the teacher on Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. The argument for this (laughs) is that the state has already created the infrastructure bank. This amendment just takes the prudent step of providing another option for financing it. With this amendment, the state could use its own funds to invest in itself or loan money for roads uh, to smaller governments. It's being used in other places like South Carolina. Now, voting against this amendment uh, is summed up this way by par. The infrastructure bank would cost money. Startup capital requirements could be more than $100 million before the bank could be effective. Eventually, operating expenses are expected to total $300,000 to $400,000 per year, which would be drawn from the revenue generated by the loan program. The bank's oversight would be in the hands of a small board operating with its own criteria for selecting projects to support. So if you want the treasurer to be able to invest in this new infrastructure bank, vote for this. If you don't trust our politicians to handle this, and of course that's up to you, vote against it. That is amendment number two. Amendment number three provides new guidelines for legislation in a fiscal session. A vote, a vote for this would broadly define what kind of tax and revenue bills can be filed in a legislative fiscal session. That's actually the abbreviated version of the regular session. And every year we alternate between the full regular session of the legislature and then the abbreviated fiscal session. Vote for this would define what kind of tax and revenue bills lawmakers can file during the fiscal session. Voting against it would basically say, leave it how it is, and you would leave in place the specific list of allowable tax legislation for the fiscal sessions. So jumping to brass tax here, if you vote for this, the current system as it is, according to Parr, is fraught with confusion and even litigation due to the lack of clarity in definitions. This basically clarifies what bills they can file as it relates to funding. And it gives the legislature a chance to kind of defog the process. If you think, hey, let's do that. Let's streamline the process, make it clear so that we can get more done. Vote for it. If, again, you have some doubts about this, vote against it. And you can go to parlouisiana.org to read these for yourself to make up your own mind. Now, finally, amendment number four allows local governments... Uh, to tax property within their jurisdictions that is owned by local or state governments outside of Louisiana. 
A vote for this requires state and local governments outside of Louisiana to pay taxes on properties they own in our state. A vote against it would leave the question to the courts, which recently ruled that state or local governments outside Louisiana are exempt from property tax. Put simply, if states or cities have property here, a vote for this says pay us taxes. If you vote against it, leave it the way it is, All right? You say the Constitution of Louisiana doesn't need to be dealt with or messed with at all. And so there you go. That is amendment number four. And again, you can read these amendments for yourself and the breakdown for these state amendments at the Public Affairs Research Council's website. That is par, P-A-R, Louisiana.org, dot O-R-G, parlouisiana.org. Sorry for that very long ending to this, but just wanted to talk through these. And I'm not going to tell you what I think uh, or how I'm going to vote on these. Totally up to you. Just wanted to tell you what these state constitutional amendments are. All right, there you go. Get out and vote, guys. Go vote. Doesn't really matter who you who you're voting for. Go vote. I have my preference, my opinions about who ought to be in office, and you have yours. But it doesn't really matter if you don't go vote. So vote. Make certain you do that. It is a responsibility as an American citizen. Go vote. And with that, we will catch you next week on The Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, on iTunes, and on the Talk 107.3 mobile app. See you next week. Go vote, y'all. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.